Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my extreme pleasure to have Dr. Kumar Mehta, who's a noted expert on the field of, in the science of exceptional performance. He has, is the best-selling author of the book, The Exceptionals. Let me try that again. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my extreme pleasure to have Dr. Kumar Mehta, who is a noted expert in the science of exceptional performance. He is the best-selling author of The Exceptionals and the number one bestseller of The Innovation Biome. Kumar has been researching why certain people have scaled the top of their pyramid and reached seemingly unreachable heights. His research has been with Olympic athletes, Nobel laureates, well-renowned musicians, and people at the very top of their niche. And that's what his book, The Exceptionables, is about, and how the best became the best, and how they can, and how you can too. So let's go there, Kumar. Let's, let's talk. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. And and thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge with us today. Now, first of all, let's start with why did you start researching this topic? I wrote my first book called The Innovation Biome, and that was about how certain organizations become outstanding and bring in enormous amount of value to the world. And from there, it got me thinking about the people behind some of the greatest things we witnessed in our lives, uh, whether it's in sports or music or business or medicine or anything. And I thought, you know, what makes certain people who they are? You know, these, you know, some of these people are household names, you know, whether it's Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or the Beatles, you know, everyone knows about them. And there are other people who we've never heard about, people who won the Nobel Prize in economics or chemistry or anything else. And 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 people in many other walks of life. And all of these people have made this world a fantastic world for us to live in. And I wanted to understand how these people became who they are. And so uh, I started off uh, interviewing uh, as many of these people as I could. I, sp I spoke to Olympic athletes, professional athletes, musicians from around the world, uh, Nobel laureates, uh, physicists, uh, uh, architects, uh, business uh, icons, just people who really have separated themselves from everyone else. And and that kind of got me uh, started about how the exceptionals became who they are. And, and that ended up resulting in the book, The Exceptionals. Well, that, that's amazing. And how long did it take you to put this all together? It took me a few years. It, the interviews were one part of it. Uh, but then there's also uh, enough research done in this space uh, by researchers around the world over the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 dec uh, years uh, about, you know, what makes certain people excellent in their field. And so I, I studied that research. 
And then I also went and, and I found a bunch of uh, exceptionals who written articles, who've given interviews. There's, there's an enormous amount of information out there. Just, you know, um, even if you just look at interviews on YouTube. Uh, and so it, it took me a few years to gather all this information. And, and my intention was to find the commonalities uh, across every single exceptional. Okay. And I'm going to get you to tell me that in just a few minutes. But first, I'm going to ask you a question. You know, as I've been reading over the years, one thing I've learned about is peak performance. Is there a difference between exceptional performance and peak performance? I'm kind of, I, I mean, I understand the concept of peak performance and peak performance matters if you're playing a sport or if you're performing a concert. But the concept of peak performance doesn't apply to other fields. It doesn't apply to you if you're a surgeon. You know, you have to be at your peak when there's a patient in front of you, not when you, you, you spend time preparing for a certain event. And so uh, uh, the, way I, the way I think about it is that you, uh, you can be excellent when it matters the most when you're excellent when it matters the least. And so your peak performance is dictated by your sustained performance on a daily basis. And if that performance is high, then your peaks are going to be higher. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, that, that's interesting. You know, I, I was a cosmetic doctor uh, for many, many years, and I was one of the leaders in the field, you know. And I, I know why I was that way. I was driven. I really wanted to know everything about everything. Mm -hmm. So when I learned something, I wanted to become the best at it. And so it was just in my innate nature that drove me to that height. It just was part of what I was. I really wanted to be the best at what I was. And, and I still am that way, that this hunger, I call it, this part of me that just wants to thrive is still a very large factor. Is that what you found in many of these people that are exceptional? In just about everyone, uh, you have to have that hunger, that drive, that desire, that commitment. Uh, in fact, I have a chapter in the book called, uh, what's it called now? <laughs> it's called Forget About Your Plan B. Uh, the people who've become exceptional don't have a plan B. They're just so focused on what they want to do that nothing else is an option. And it's that, it's that drive, the desire, the commitment. Uh, that's uh, one of the common uh, defining traits of people who become exceptional. That's cool. And then I think that's really important. Uh, I, I, I might take exception to that because, you know, when I was a cosmetic surgeon, a cosmetic doctor, uh, plan A wouldn't always work. So we mm -hmm. always had to have plan B or plan C or plan D. The goal at the end was to get the result, but how we got there was totally different. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, there are many ways to get a specific outcome, but I don't know if you were thinking I'm going to be a a doctor, but maybe if I don't become a doctor, I'll become an airplane pilot, or maybe I'll do something else. You I'm know, thinking, and it's interesting. In medicine, it's very, very hard to get into medicine. It's very yeah. hard. So the first year I applied, I applied to 100 medical schools and got rejected by every one of them, every one of them. So then I applied again, and then I got accepted by, by several, and I was able to get in. 
But then I wanted to become a dermatologist many years later. And I applied to 100 or 200 schools. And again, I was rejected by every one of them. And so I tried again. And that's when I had to have a plan B just in case. It's not because I didn't want to, but it's sometimes life doesn't let you do what you want it to because life is that way. Right. So plan B, uh, by definition, is a safety net that lets you soar as high as you possibly can. And it's just there in case you don't reach those heights. And if you fall down, it's there to catch you. What ends up happening in a lot of cases uh, is that uh, uh, you getting somewhere, you know, becoming the, the best tennis player in the world or becoming the best pianist in the world or being one of the top in the world, uh, it, it's, it's incredibly hard. And a lot of people, uh, when they face the first hurdle, say, oh, well, I, you know, I can go and sell cars instead. Why am I doing this? Uh, you, just, uh, you just showed uh, something that a lot of people haven't uh, been able to do. It's a lot of people might have given up the first time they tried to apply to medical college and didn't get in. Uh, you know, you waited a year and tried again, and the second time you were successful. So plan B is fine as a safety net, but it should not be uh, maybe a comfort blanket or something that just kind of draws you away from doing what you really want to do. Yes, and and sometimes it takes many, many efforts. You know, I look at, at these uh, hockey players. I live in, in Canada and Edmonton, and you know, there's only... 20 hockey teams or so each one has 20 to 30 players so of all these kids that are trying to play hockey only about maybe 720 are going to make it to the nhl that's 0.01 percent yep that's that's pretty rare and and that's exactly what what i talk about there's 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 a word for that it's called the permiriad it's the one percent of the one percent which uh, uh, so it's one out of every ten thousand, which is almost the stats that you just uh, mentioned, and it is how you can get there uh, of the millions of people who try to become a hockey player or a football player or a tennis player. The the numbers are so staggeringly low as to how many people that make it there, uh, and and that's why I wrote the book is to educate people about how can you help yourself to to become one of those people. Yeah. It's it's interesting how you have to do it. And each person has to find their own way in many respects because it's very, very difficult. Uh, I have a niece that wanted to become a doctor, but she was rejected from applications three times. So she became a nurse instead. Okay. So it's sometimes it's not always the way you want it to be. And sometimes it's not meant to be. I agree. Uh, And one of the things I've learned is that People who've really gone all into their plan A for whatever, and, and for whatever reason, let's say it's a sport and an injury or something uh, forces them out or some, at some point they realize that, okay, I've maxed my abilities and there's just no way I, I have what it takes to get to the next step. The fact that they've done all those things and, and uh, built, uh, you know, built a set of things that are necessary to become exceptional even if they don't become exceptional in that field and uh, they go off and do something else, all those skills transfer with them and they become great at something else. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, that's why I say a person never fails because that just means you haven't been successful yet, you know, and everything that you've done in an attempt is knowledge that you're going to use again and again and again. So that knowledge set is very important for you. That knowledge set will help you succeed over and over and over again. You're absolutely right. So what are the commonalities, sir, of these experts that have made it to the top? And I'm sure you have several of them. Yeah. So there actually, uh, there actually is a formula, uh, like a mathematical formula, so to speak, uh, about 50% of what makes you exceptional in, in your field is just what you're born with, your innate abilities, your genes, things that your parents gave you. Uh, 25% of what makes you exceptional is just hard work. There's no other way to say it. It's your intense effort and hard work because, you know, it is just, there's, there's no getting around it. And, and I'll, just, I'll just emphasize that, you know, I don't know how many times when I was working through my pre-medical degree, I would spend Friday evenings working on papers, doing things, working on weekends when all my friends were out partying and drinking and doing things. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I worked my tail off to get it done. And hard work is something that is necessary in all this stuff. I, I mean, a person doesn't get to be at the top of their field without hard work. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's 75%, and that's the obvious 75%. The, the remaining 25% are a set of enablers, and there are five enablers. Uh, the first one is the environment you're in. The second one is your commitment. Uh, the third thing is your self-belief and your, your confidence and your belief in your ability. The fourth one is something I call micro-excellence. It's your ability to focus on the tiniest, minutest of details. And the last one is something you'd alluded to a little earlier. It's just learning and, and taking information from wherever possible. It's having this uh, learning mindset that you learn from other fields, other disciplines, and bringing in knowledge from other sources and other people into your fold. So these are the things that are that are pretty much constant across everyone who's, who's reached the top of their field and whatever their field may be. It could be architecture to physics to uh, golf. Let's, let's go through those enablers in a little bit more detail for so, because again, everybody wants to use those enablers in their environment to get to the point that they could be as good as they possibly can be. So let's go through those enablers. Okay. Um, so the first one is your environment. You have to be uh, in an environment that supports your growth. Uh, and, and, and the environment can be as simple as a physical environment. If, uh, if you're an economist, you want to be surrounded by other economists. If you're a runner, there's a little area in Kenya called Rift Valley where, where the majority of the world's great marathoners come from. It's just because it's so strong in that culture uh, so it's a simple thing, you know, if, if, if you want to be a, if, if you want to be a great skier, you need to have access to snow. Uh, so, so one part is the physical environment. The other part of the environment is your psychosocial environment. It's, 
it's having this culture of striving and wanting to do more. So that so the environment plays a huge role in how you develop and and what you do. Uh, so that that's the that's the first of the enablers. And I, I think the environment is very important. You know, I grew up in a very poor family. You know, there really wasn't much, and that environment I think pushed me to go further as well. My parents always said, "You're not going to work." in the fields that we did. They said, you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or something where you don't have to work like we did. And and that was an environment that was very essential for me to succeed. Absolutely, so what from what you just said, what your parents instilled in you was this culture of striving. That, hey, you know, we are living this life, but you don't have to. And it sounds like from a very young age, they you know, they, they kind of instilled that in you and, and you had the striver's mentality that, okay, I'm going to become a doctor or a lawyer or something. And of course you became a doctor. And so, I, I remember quite vividly when, when, when I was young, one of my cousins, I said, I'm going to be a doctor. He said, ha ha ha. How are you going to ever afford that? I mean, it costs money to do that. I said, I'll find a way, you know, and you know, certainly there's ways to do it. And mm-hmm. I watched a great, movie recently called The King, which is about the father of Vanessa and uh, Serena Williams. It's a Disney movie. And you know that Vanessa and Serena Williams were some of the greatest tennis players Mm -hmm. of all time. And they grew up in a very, very poor environment. But their father had a view on how to make them. They were talented. They were very talented. But without the father finding ways to get them coaching, to get them the things they needed to get out of that. And the most brilliant thing he did was when they were, when they found a school for them and somebody to take them, he said, you're not going to go the circuit route like all the other uh, kids because these kids burn out too easily and they're burnt out by the age of 21. So he found a way to also sustain them as athletes for the rest of their life. Yeah. And in fact, I haven't seen the movie. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen the movie. But I do know the story. In fact, I've referenced it in the book. Uh, and, and the dad kind of wrote this, this plan when, when the girls in Venus and Serena were barely five years old about exactly how he was going to help them uh, develop and become world champions, which both of them, uh, of course, did. Okay, so let's go on to the second point. Uh, the second point uh, is uh, self-belief or your, your belief in yourself. Uh, now, now, you already mentioned a couple of examples where you just believed that you would find a way. It didn't matter what other people said. Um, so self-belief, uh, and maybe as you've studied medicine, uh, it's, it's kind of an offshoot of, uh, of self-efficacy. And that is highly linked to your skills. Uh, when you believe you can do something, you're more likely to be able to do it. And all of the exceptionals that I studied had that belief just deep inside themselves. It wasn't a braggy thing that I'm better than you. It was just that quiet confidence that I know I can achieve what I'm setting out to Yeah, achieve. and I, I really second that. You know, it's funny how in the field that I was in, I became the expert at things that I was initially the worst at doing. 
You know, I learned how to do liposuction. I learned how to do Mohs micrographic surgery. I learned how to use lasers. I learned how to do Botox. And, and I was terrible at all of those to begin with. Absolutely atrocious. So, uh, and, and there are ways, and, and, and in the book, I talk about how you can improve each of these. And there are ways you can improve your self-efficacy, how you can learn to master a task, how you can learn from other people, uh, you know, so, uh, but again, as it's one of those enablers that you can be as talented and as hardworking uh, and, uh, you know, as brilliant as possible. But if you don't trust yourself, you don't believe yourself, it's not going to happen. Uh, in fact, the, uh, probably a more Olymp people uh, win or lose an Olympic medal before the starting gun even goes off. Uh, I've come across so many athletes who are just overwhelmed being in the Olympics, looking at everything around them, uh, thinking, I don't belong here with these great runners. And uh, they just talk themselves out right before the gun goes off. And and that is something. And that's what uh, a lot of uh, mental coaches try to work on, which is, you know, getting you in, your, in, in that mind frame of believing in yourself. Exactly. So that that is something that's uh, essential. Uh, yeah. And, okay, so let's go to the third enabler now. Yeah, the third one uh, is uh, something I'm going to talk about, something I call micro-excellence. Uh, it, uh, uh, it is, you know, everyone becomes big and great and famous, not by focusing on the big stuff. It's by focusing on the tiny little details. It's the details that matter. And one of the things I found in every exceptional is that they really focus on the things that other people think, oh, I don't want to worry about this. This is, I'm never going to do this. I'm, this is never going to come my way. Uh, there was a baseball player who, uh, who just uh, practiced these drills that never happened. They maybe happened once every hundred games, but he practiced them. Uh, Michael Phelps, uh, the greatest Olympian of all times, was an incredible master of detail. Uh, in fact, he, uh, he just knew everything. He was so prepared about every little element that nothing could prevent him from doing what he planned to do. There was one example where there was one time uh, where he, he dove into the pool in an Olympic game and uh, he couldn't see because water, for whatever reason, went into his goggles and he was blind, but he still won gold in that race because he knew every inch of the pool. He was able to count his strokes, So he knew when he should turn around and head back. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the details that separate everyone. It's the little things that, that make a difference. It's not the big things. We all talk about the big things. Everyone wants the big things. But what really separates the great from the good is the tiny details cool. or micro-excellence. Okay, so we've covered three. Let's go to the fourth one. Uh, the fourth one is about gaining information and knowledge from others. And uh, I, I have a chapter in the book called The Myth of the Solo Superstar. Uh, no one does it alone. Uh, you know, you become great with an improvement community or, or a set of people around you that help you become great. And even if it's not a, a physical set of people, you know, there's, you have access to information and experiences uh, through the internet or through, uh, through so many sources. And all of these people, they, they love learning from other disciplines. Uh, they love learning, you know, from things that are not necessarily theirs. If you're a tennis player, you want to learn how you can, uh, you, you can bring in uh, learnings from, uh, from entirely different fields and bring them into your sport or your art or your work or whatever it is you're doing. And uh, uh, it's just this ability to 
to grow and learn and, and improve yourself. I, I've always found it very easy for me to be a great to the cosmetic surgery field because all I had to do was stand on the shoulders of giants to get there. Yeah, and it was so much easier because other people had paved the way and did such things. And <laughs> yeah, and that is absolutely true. It is everyone becomes great by standing on the shoulder of giants. Yeah. Uh, okay, so and, let's go to number five. Yeah, the number five, we actually talked a little bit about it already. It's, it's, it's the commitment and, and, the, and the no plan B concept. So we, we, we talked about it. It's that, again, every exceptional is so committed to, to whatever they're doing. Uh, one of the examples they gave is of Ed Sheeran, the, the famous, uh, the famous uh, uh, singer today, uh, probably one of the most popular uh, uh, musicians uh, today, uh, how he busked on the streets just, you know, playing for small change. I mean, his only goal was to become better and better and better, or even Justin Bieber, a Canadian, uh, an incredibly famous uh, heartthrob for, uh, at least my kids love him. Uh, you know, he would do the same. He'd just go play anywhere where somebody would listen. He was just committed uh, to his art. And you play in front of small audiences and you get better. So your audiences get bigger and bigger and bigger until you're a world-renowned superstar. It's, it's just that commitment to keep pursuing uh, improvement. Okay. Well, we're almost close to the end yet. And I have two questions to ask sure. you, sir. The first one is a personal question. And this sure. one I'd like you to answer. And that is, how do you live a fantastic life? I live a fantastic life by doing what, what I want to do. Uh, I, that's why I studied and researched and wrote these books, because I think that this is, uh, this is what I wanted to do. My personal goal is to impact a million lives in a positive fashion. And that's what I live for. And I do that by researching and writing and helping other people improve. And I do that by, uh, by some organizations that I'm involved with that reach out to the millions of uh, kids around the world and help them with, with different things like social emotional learning and, and some other things. Uh, so uh, and that's how I choose to live a fantastic life. And uh, I'm very happy and well, not happy, but I'm very satisfied with the choices I'm making. Excellent. Now I'm going to ask you if you can answer this one, you may not be answering but how do exceptional people live fantastic lives? I think it is. I think the exceptional people are so driven and they've become exceptional by following on that drive. And they are, I mean, they may not necessarily be happy lives. I mean, we hear about, you know, these famous people going through the same troubles that you or me or anyone we know may go through, except that theirs are more public because of who they are. But I think they're, I think they're living a fantastic life because they've been able to achieve what they've set out to achieve. And of course, in their minds, they haven't because there's always another place to go. They're all striving to go farther, but, uh, but they've achieved uh, a great deal more than, uh, than most people. Fantastic. And I got to thank you for your wisdom and your time with me today, sir, and the, and the views that you've expressed. How can people get a copy of either of your books? Can you please uh, say the names of them and where yeah. they can get them? 
Sure, they're available anywhere. Probably Amazon is the easiest place to get them. Uh, the book we talked about today is called The Exceptionals, How the Best Become the Best and How You Can Too. And my first book was called The Innovation Biome. Uh, so both of these are available pretty much anywhere books are sold. Sir, thank you very much. This was really a pleasure to have you on. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me on. And I enjoyed the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. Dr. Alan Stephen Leica here. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Have a fantastic day.